Welcome to Access Vikings. We are back after a bit of a layoff. We've all, I think, had vacations. We've been gone for various things, but uh, we're still not at full strength. But we will attempt to kill off this penalty and get to the draft without giving up a shorthanded goal. Ben Gessling and Michael Rand here for this episode of Access Vikings. Uh, Mike, we are less than two weeks, well, just over two weeks as of this recording from the start of the NFL draft, the start of Roger Goodell getting booed by the Las Vegas Raiders faithful and uh, announcing the first pick in the draft. Uh, we, the Vikings, of course, have the 12th overall pick. We heard from some of their principals on the roster this week. We'll get into a little bit of what they had to say during two days of, of availability, but let's start with the draft for the Vikings pick, of course, 12th overall, two weeks from tonight. Uh, we are, we are deep in mock draft season and plenty to chew on there. The, the consensus seems to sort of be forming around the idea that the Vikings will need to take a cornerback with a 12th overall pick, given the lack of depth there, uh, perhaps in a stroke of irony that Mike Zimmer is no longer the coach, but his philosophy of just one more cornerback, Mike, uh, seems to be alive and well. What do you think uh, of the, the pre-draft approach here and, and where the Vikings end up going? I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. You do, you know, you see sometimes where, you know, a need and a value align, right? And they, they certainly need help there. That was a position that they tried to shore up last year with, you know, with veterans, obviously, and kind of remade that position after going very young in 2020 and having that not work out, they'd signed Mackenzie Alexander. They signed Patrick Peterson a year ago and they signed Bashad Breland. Those three guys working out to various degrees. I'd say Alexander, not so well. I'd say Bashad Breland, not well at all. And Patrick Peterson was probably above average and is back um, this year on a less expensive deal. So it's not like they don't have anything to work with, with, Patrick Peterson and Cameron Dantzler, presumably their top two right now. But yeah, certainly need more than that. Uh, maybe not just one more, maybe two more. Um, so the danger, though, Ben, is, you know, we've seen them in the past when, then again, different decision makers. It was Rick Spielman uh, for countless numbers of drafts before this. But, you know, teams in general and Vikings specifically, when you need one thing in the draft and you convince yourself that that thing will be there and that you're going to get yes. what you need. Um, sometimes you don't always get value and sometimes you don't get the player that you thought you would. I mean, you can look at Christian Ponder in 2011 when they drafted him. You can look at um, Laquan Treadwell in 2016 when they need a wide receiver. Like sometimes you're better off just taking the best player available. Um, but that said, it does seem like a draft where there's going to be a lot of corners available and, you know, worthy of being picked that high. And if there one is one at number 12, you know, whether it's, you know, Derek Stangley Jr. or somebody else, um, you know, it does seem like that would make sense from a fit standpoint and from a value standpoint. Yeah, it does. And it, I guess, fortunately for Quasi Adolfo Mensa in his first draft in the Vikings scouting operation in their first draft under Quasi, the biggest need is also a position that I think you can defend to a degree. You can sit there and say, this is a high value position. This is a place where we need help immediately, but it's also a place that it makes sense to draft. And I suppose that's a, a nice upside of saying we are deficient at a really important position. I mean, that's not a good thing, but I guess no. that if there's a silver lining there, it might be that you can say, Hey, this is, 
this makes sense both in the needs for our current roster and it is analytically sound, so to speak. I mean, a lot of the questions we got are based on how is the draft philosophy going to differ? And I think one thing you might see is a little bit more positional value winning out the, the, the positions where it is difficult to find top level talent or there's not depth behind it that acquire a little bit more of a premium or the positions that just are more important in the NFL pass rusher tackle uh, cornerback, certainly quarterback. I think it's going to be, I think we can get into that a little bit, but that's going to be one of those things that's interesting to watch as well. But I think if you're looking at 12th overall and they were to take a corner in a draft that has them, it would be fairly easy to stand up there and say, this was the pick that made sense. I, I don't think they'd get a lot of blowback to that idea. No, you're right about that. Um, and I think, you know, I think the, the, the danger, you know, the, I think the, the interesting thing about the cornerback market or the cornerbacks in the, uh, you know, at the top, potentially the top of the draft, and you're seeing Derek Stingley Jr., like I mentioned, the outset, the, the very talented LSU corner who's been mocked to them by a lot of different people, including Mel Kuyper Jr. We can get into some uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. comments from a, a very recent conference call he did with reporters where he did address ad, did address that number 12 pick um the, the concern with someone like a Derek Stingley Jr. or just you know anybody coming out of college but you know you don't know how they're going to translate to the NFL but Derek Stingley Jr. has had injury problems and he hasn't yeah. he, he didn't have a he didn't have an interception um in 2021 or 2020 uh you know some of that's people not throwing at him after he had six picks as a freshman in 2019 when he was very good for LSU. But part of that is, you know, he's been off the field. He only played a few games last season. I think he only played seven or eight um, the two, the year before that. So you're talking about a guy whose production and health has, has fallen off. So, you know, it's a big, kind of a, a high risk, high reward pick, which is, you know, a little bit daunting for a team with a certain need, I guess. Yeah, it is. And I, I think that's going to be interesting to watch as well as one of the things that I think we should remember is that piece of the operation is also different. It's no longer Eric Sugarman presiding over the medical sort of the records, trying to make decisions on who is healthy enough, who is worth the risk. The, uh, the red dot as Rick Spielman would always talk about in terms of players that were too much of an injury risk to even bother with. It is a new staff making those decisions. So one of the things I'm very curious to see among other things, there's a lot of things I'm curious to see in this draft, but how did they approach a player like Derek Stingley, who's had an injury history? Is that going to be more or less of a question for them than it would have been for the previous regime? I mean, there were there were people in the NFL, I know, that looked at Christian Darisol last year and said, I don't think I would touch this guy given the number of injuries he'd had and given the fact that, that core injury, that groin injury he had, would seem to be kind of a pernicious thing. And certainly we saw during the season that it was, I mean, he missed time at the beginning of the year because of a second surgery with that. And I would be very curious to see how this regime will operate differently. If at all, it is important to remember that the scouting operation of the Vikings front office is virtually the same. Most of the same people who were involved before, if not all of the same people, I think it is maybe all of the same people um, as the end of the season are involved in this draft as well. There have been a couple of changes in the front office since the last draft with Kelly Klein joining George Payton in Denver, but 
overall, these are the same scouts. So there is going to be some measure of continuity in the process, but you have a different guy uh, making the decisions about medical uh, choices on players. Tyler Williams overseeing a lot of that department. And of course, the guy that's making the ultimate call is completely different in Quasi Adolfo Mensa. It's no longer Rick Spielman doing that. So how they interpret certain types of players and situations like Stingley, I think is going to be one of the interesting subplots to this whole thing. Congrats on the new job at Compere Financial. Thanks. It's refreshing to work for a company that gives back. We even get paid time off to volunteer. That's so cool. How are the benefits? Amazing. They have lots of growth and educational opportunities and even provide up to a 9% 401k matching contribution. Wow, they must really care about investing in your future. They do, and with their flexible work environment, I know I'm going to love being a part of Team Compere. To learn more about a career at Compere Financial, visit compere.com slash careers. Compere is an equal opportunity employer and provider. Just judging by Mel Kuyper's thoughts on that conference call, let me just read a little bit. I mean, he was asked if, you know, so many of the mock drafts show the Vikings taking defense uh, with that number 12 pick. Does he think that's a hundred percent certainty? And he said, you know, you can never say a hundred percent, but he said, it just screams corner. Um, you look at sauce Gardner being gone. He'll probably be one of the, you know, top five, six overall picks. Yeah. He said, Derek Stingley jr. If he's there and knowing we've all targeted Minnesota with Stingley, will someone come up, someone trade up to get Stingley? And if he's gone, what do you do? Well, <laughs> That's interesting Kuiper. that Kuiper is basically inserting himself into the process of my mock drafts are predictive in the sense that they tell everybody what the league is thinking. So people might come up and trade because I'm yes. mocking this guy in Minnesota. He's, it, it he's, is uh, interesting. He's a big deal. He, 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 it is a, he is a, inserting himself as a big deal. But, you know, if he, he does say uh, Washington corner Trent McDuffie worthy of being the 12th pick, had a great court, had a great career, tackles extremely well and can play anywhere in the secondary and he said, if you're thinking about defensive line, you can probably wait until the second round to address that. So if you want a safer pick, someone like Trent McDuffie, who didn't have a ton of picks in college, but maybe had a better you know, overall body of work in terms of health and in terms of you know, what he can do on the field, maybe that is something to consider. But it certainly sounds like you know, whether it's just reading what the Vikings need or whether it's intel from what they're, they're doing, um, it does seem like that's what they're targeting right now. Yeah, and I, I think it certainly makes a lot of sense. I, I would not be surprised at all if it is, in fact, one of those three corners you mentioned because it is, it's a good draft for corners. There are going to be other guys, but you have three in the top 12 that you'd feel pretty good about coming away with one of those three. Uh, if Kyle Hamilton were to slide, I think that's an intri- intriguing possibility at trying to put him next to Harrison Smith for now and have him succeed Harrison Smith could be worth looking at. I, I don't know that he'll be there, but that I think is going to be something to keep an eye on as well. So it's not a bad draft overall to need defensive backs because there do seem to be some guys there. It, it's interesting. Uh, Kuiper mentions defensive line. I mean, I, I think edge rusher overall is something they're going to have to look at. They signed the Darius Smith, of course, they have Daniel Hunter coming back and they're planning to move Hunter probably a little bit more in the base defense into that three, four stand up pass rusher kind of role. And Kevin, o- Kevin O'Connell talked last month at the owners meetings about how excited he was about the possibility of moving Hunter and Smith around and basically saying, we can get whatever matchups we want whenever we want, because we can dictate protections with where we line those guys up. That's great in theory. Those guys played a combined seven regular season games last year. And I I do think whether you're counting on them being healthy and you just need another body 
or whether you're trying to give yourself some measure of protection if they get hurt. I, I do think edge rusher uh, or possibly a defensive end that can can give you a little bit of pass rush in the base and then maybe line up there on a 3-4 is – or sorry, on a 4-3 and a nickel, uh, four down front and a nickel. I think that's certainly worth exploring as well. Yeah. Well, and it's a team, you know, looking at the looking at the roster that has gotten, you know, older, even if this even as they've tried to, you know, get younger at certain positions with with the draft over the years. And we'll probably see some some guys in years two, year three get counted upon more. And then you see them as they kind of, you know, have this have this roster. But, you know, we are going to see a like you said a, a little while ago, kind of whatever philosophical difference there is with the new regime and not just, you know, how they approach the draft, but what positions they value. We'll start to see that play out a little bit too, I'd imagine in this draft, but there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of need, right? I mean, you finish yeah. out of the playoffs three out of four years. Um, there, there's needs all around the field. So I guess, you know, it shouldn't surprise us necessarily whatever they do. I mean, I think quarterback would be surprised, I guess, uh, just because of what they've done with Kirk Cousins. We can get into some of his comments here in a little bit, but you know, beyond that, it doesn't, it, it feels like, you could still convince me that they could do a lot of different things um, at uh, at number 12 and it wouldn't necessarily shock me. Yeah. I mean, you could look at, I, I think we mentioned the pass rusher situation. I could see something where if they had an offensive lineman that they liked, the needs are more in the interior. So I don't know if you're going to go draft a guard 12th overall. I think that would uh, probably have been more likely in the previous regime than, than this one, but you could make a case they certainly have a need there. I think tight end, Kuiper brings up a little bit, especially if you're concerned about Irv Smith's health. That could be a need in rounds two or three as well. But yeah, I mean, there were certainly some different ways they could go. One of the things, one of the subplots we've alluded to a little bit here and how they value positions, I think how they do approach the quarterback position is going to be very, very interesting to watch because there is a school of thought out there that you should take one every year because you can never have enough guys that are good at that position either because you may need them. You may need to develop them in the event that your current guy gets really expensive. Uh, and you may have opportunities to trade those guys if you don't need them. We certainly see it every single year. The, the number of teams that need good quarterbacks. And if you get a guy, you can develop somebody, you can turn that into a, a surplus at a spot where there's always demand, which means you have a valuable trade chip. So Rick Spielman was not typically the type to take a quarterback unless he needed one. That's what made the Kellen Mond pick last year. I think so interesting and something of a departure from what they had done in the past, obviously seemed to be something that Mike Zimmer did not like no. based on his very, very terse comments after the game in Lambeau field at the end of the season that effectively sealed his fate. He, of course, uh, was asked after that game if he wanted to see Kellen Mond the next week, and his words were not particularly. Uh, was, was there a quarterback that Mike Zimmer liked post-Teddy Bridgewater? Because he was der uh, derogatory think, towards Case Keenum all the time. Yeah, I don't know if he loved yeah. Sam Bradford. Kirk Cousins, he never wanted him. Um, Kellen Mond didn't want him. Maybe he liked Sean Mannion. I don't know. Who, who did Rick Zimmer? He, who did Mike Zimmer like? I mean, they, they brought Sean Manny back a bunch of times. I mean, maybe, maybe and again they, this year they, and again this year. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's not just Mike Zimmer that the life Sean Manny. I, I would say he probably had the best relationship with Bradford. I mean, he he's that seemed to grow. They had their cute little moment 
in training camp where he was trying to get Bradford to show more fire and Bradford kind of shoved him. Uh, and he, he almost kind of knocked him down and, and he reacted to it perhaps a little more warmly than he did when uh, Kirk Cousins shoved him this year. He, he, he joked about like a quarterback can never hurt me or something like that. And uh, they, they had a nice little moment with it, but yeah, you're right. They, there was always, I mean, he had his first love and uh, he got his heart broken and it never really seemed like he was able to move on completely from that. So, yeah, not a lot of quarterbacks that Mike Zimmer did like. But the question of whether they drafted them other than the times that they needed them predated Mike Zimmer. I mean, that was yes. that was a fairly well-established Rick Spielman habit that you were not going to take one of those guys unless you were immediately in the market to have that player start. So the mod pick was a departure from that idea. I'm very curious to see if Quasi Adolfo Mensa says, hey, this spot is something we are going to need or find value in, even if we don't need it every single year. So let's try to take a guy that we we like or we think we could develop. Obviously, the other piece of that is Kirk Cousins, who is signed through 2023, has a no-trade clause, but talked this week about, I want to play the rest of my career in Minnesota, which would probably entail another contract. He turns 34 in August. So he'll be 35 when that contract is up, uh, 35 and a half, I guess. But certainly could could take another deal if he were to finish his career in Minnesota. He said, I know I need to play my way into that. I understand that I'm going to have to play well enough for the Vikings to want me to stay around beyond 2023. But those comments, I, I there was not a, an overwhelmingly enthusiastic reaction from the fan base about those. And I'm wondering, Mike, when you heard him say that, uh, how did you react to it, and and where do you think it goes? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I part of me was just thinking that that's something somebody says when they are with a team, right? You don't say, yeah, uh, "I yeah. want to end my career with the Jacksonville Jaguars" or something like that. Like, I want out of here right now. I want, yeah, get me, get me out of here. I just signed an extension. However, um, I will be on the next plane out of here as soon as uh, I feel like it, or they don't want me. So part of it's just. That's something you say when you are under contract for a certain team and you are at a certain age of your career. But it, it was interesting, right? I think he's being pragmatic about it. He realizes that it's not necessarily his choice. He probably went through an offseason where there was, you know, whatever degree of realism you think there was in Kirk Cousins being traded, it certainly was talked about enough that it probably filtered back to him that he knew that it was, you know, if the right deal was there, that might have happened, or, you know, based on how they felt about him, even though. Kevin O'Connell seems to like him and want him. Um, but, you know, part of it too probably is, you know, twofold. One, you know, he's, he's built a life here, right? He's got kids. He's, he's got family. He's got, you know, young, young kids don't want to be displaced from that necessarily. There's probably a certain comfort in being here. He's been uh, compensated very well here. I, I'm sure they, uh, they, they, there's a certain, uh, a certain, you know, if they keep wanting to restructure him and, and, and kick that, kick that can forward and the, the team that's got you right now is the easiest way to do that. But you know, it's probably an element too of wanting to see this through in these first four years he's been here while, while productive to a certain degree have not been what anybody imagined, right? They signed him in yeah. 2018 coming off an NFC title game appearance, thinking that could be a missing piece to get to a super bowl. And instead um, they've made the playoffs once they won one playoff game. Um, what do we call that a playoff run? It was an upset. They were a wild card. Um, it was a good season. I'm not saying it wasn't, but 
you know, and certainly extenuating circumstances in 2020 and 2021 with COVID and everything else, some of that of his own making. Um, but, you know, maybe some of that is just, I, I want to see if we can do better with, with, with a different approach, with different leadership, things like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the hope with him certainly is, I mean, the, the hope of the Vikings entire off season has seemed to be, we can kind of run it back. I mean, competitive rebuild, I think, was the phrase that Kwesi that used. But we can take a lot of the talent we have, maybe use it a little bit differently, maybe try to coach different players differently, um, get through to them differently. Cousins, I think, would be very high on that list. But the thesis seems to be we can win with fairly minor adjustments. And whether they actually believe that or not is, I think, one of the fascinating subplots here because – I do know there was at least a little bit of discussion of what would it look like if we did blow this sky high? There was certainly some talk of that. I don't know that it got very far. I don't know that ownership is ever going to be crazy about that idea, but there was at least some discussion of that as they were going into free agency and and making the decision on cousins going from there. there. There were some trade conversations and I think they, had at least spent a little bit of time contemplating that idea. So whether they believe it or not, or whether this is, well, let's try it for a year. It's easier to test this theory than blow it up and need to redo it. Because if it doesn't work, maybe then we can convince ownership in a year that we can just go, Hey, the the, the small adjustments didn't work. We can't use a scalpel. We need to just chop down the, the whole thing and, and start over. Uh, we'll, we'll see where they actually are, are feeling about this and kind of how the, the politics of all this play out. But yeah, the, the, um, the approach of keeping cousins and then trying to get through to him differently with Kevin O'Connell instead of Mike Zimmer is kind of the, the way they seem to be building this season and whether they are actually successful, I think is going to be largely incumbent upon that working out in the way that they hope it could. You know, I, one thought I had, and this is a thought I've had for a couple of weeks now, is you know at a certain point I thought all the quarterback movement in the offseason was going to help facilitate a Cousins trade, just because you know you saw a lot of teams swinging for certain quarterbacks and missing, and then would that be you know a cause to then go get Kirk Cousins? I mean, we saw Russell Wilson get traded, you saw you know Deshaun Watson get traded, yeah. you saw Carson Wentz get dealt, and then what Matt Ryan got dealt as well. Um, you know, when, when all of that happens, do you then look at, you know, Kirk Cousins and say, okay, that's, that's the next domino to fall. But part of me do then in, in, in retrospect wonders if it wasn't such an active off season, would there have been a better market for Kirk Cousins? Cause this was a strange quarterback yeah. off season. Not too often. Do you see that many quarterbacks change teams, that many prominent quarterbacks? Yeah. And obviously the name that we all wondered at the beginning of it about changing teams was Aaron Rodgers. And <laughs> Heck, it sounds like, based on all of the reporting, that we were pretty darn close to Tom Brady possibly changing teams as well, trying to force his way out of Tampa Bay, buy an ownership stake in the Dolphins, and then I, I don't even know how that would work. Can you own a stake in a team and still play for that team? I mean, different leagues have different rules on that. Yeah, I don't know. But I there If you haven't read it, it, the idea was that Brady would work his way to the Dolphins and – they would hire Sean Payton as their coach, but then the Brian Flores lawsuit came out effectively at the same time, blew up the entire idea, basically by 
insinuating that Stephen Ross, the owner, was trying to incentivize Flores to lose games and also that there was a, a meeting with a <clears throat> prominent free agent quarterback uh, before the 2020 season on Ross's yacht that Flores said, no, this is tampering. We can't do this. That quarterback is very widely believed to be one uh, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. So I think that's right. It's Patrick Edward or Edward Patrick. I don't know. But Irish, Irish, Irish names all the way through. Anyway, um, had that happened, it would have led to even more changes with Rodgers and Brady changing things. Um, yeah, probably didn't help the market for Cousins that he wasn't number one on the list and may also make things a little different for the Vikings in the sense that if you're figuring Rodgers is out of the NFC, Brady is out of the NFC, maybe the run it back idea works a little better because the NFC is not as tough. Now you, you lost Russell Wilson in that mix and you have a number of other teams that, that just probably aren't as good as what you'd have in the AFC. But um, yeah, the, the topsy turvy quarterback market had a lot of, effect i think on what they would be able to do with cousins and and kind of where that goes so lots to pay attention to there but you did ask at the outset what did i think about it did that get me excited no it did not get me excited just because we're (laughs) we're dealing with the same question that we've been dealing with for a while now and then that is you know while kirk cousins is a productive you know upper half of the nfl quarterback and whether where you want to slot him in whether it's 14th, 10th, whatever it is, um, you know, eighth, maybe on his best day. Um, does the, the compensation for a quarterback quarterback like that match, you know, the value of, of, of what he gives you. And, you know, it, in, in terms, not only of his on-field production, but what you're then able to spend on the rest of your roster. And are you better served at a certain point, just cutting it off and saying, you know what, this just isn't working. The way to win right now isn't, isn't to keep, keep trying this it's it's to to try it through the draft to find a quarterback who's you know who you believe in who you can build around and and hope that that's your guy and then have him on that relatively inexpensive rookie contract for four years and and try to try to win that way and it felt to me like this offseason was the time to do that once we knew Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to be traded because then you're like well for you know for four years with ostensibly at least as good, if probably earlier in, in his tenure with the Vikings, a, a the Vikings had better rosters than I think they'll have in 2022, and they could not conquer Aaron Rodgers uh, with with Kirk with Kirk Cousins as quarterback. So, what makes them think they can do it in 2022, other than a fresh set of eyes? I don't know. And so, I, I guess I'm still, you know, wondering what what's the value of this. But I also get it. Like maybe they're just kind of stuck. There's maybe some value in seeing for one year if this works and then using that as either, you know, Hey, wow, it did work. Let's, let's keep doing this. Or, well, now you can show to management that, Hey, or the ownership that, you know, we went seven and 10 again or eight, and nine again, this isn't working. We really do need to hit a harder reset than maybe you're comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting question with him because I had heard early last year that the, that the Wilts weren't all that interested in going down this road again, that this thing of, we keep coming back to the table every couple of years and this is expensive and it hamstrings the rest of our roster development. And we haven't really gotten a ton of results. I had heard they were kind of getting tired of that, but cousins has given them more durability, more stability at that position. I've written this and I will probably continue to do it as he climbs the list. He is fourth in Vikings history in terms of quarterback starts. And if he starts every game this year, he will match Dante Culpepper for the third most starts by a quarterback in franchise history, trailing only Fran Tarkenton, 
and Tommy Kramer. Now, it's maybe damning with faint praise to say that he is climbing the list of quarterbacks in this franchise, given there haven't been that many good ones, and given he's playing in an era that is more quarterback-friendly than any in the history of the league. But he has given them more stability than they have enjoyed really since Dante Culpepper. And it's always the question of, do you want to hit the reset and bet that you could do better? Or are you going to say, there's a possibility we're going to do a lot worse. And you look around the NFL and you can see what that looks like. So I think some of what keeps the Vikings coming back to the table is that feeling of we don't really want to hit the reset button completely. Let's stick with what we have and try to win on the margins, trying to improve the roster on the margins. I think to, to basically use the words that uh, Quasi Adolfo Mensa used last month. Yeah. Well, we'll, we will see time. will uh, time will tell on that one, but I thought his comments were pretty interesting. I did love how unprompted he brought up how many offensive coordinators he's played for here in Minnesota. That was one of my favorite parts of his, uh, of his session as well. Yeah, there, there's, I mean, that is one of those things with Kirk and Mike Zimmer that maybe it takes a little while before it completely goes away, but the little kind of side shots that they take at one another, just the, the kind of, um, I think you wrote it this week, right? The, the passive aggressive. It was passive aggressive. It was very passive aggressive. It was like, yeah, yeah, Mike Zimmer, thank you very much for all the offensive coordinators. Right. I'm, well, and, and he had some, I think there was some with Jay Gruden as, as well. But, you know, Kirk's a Kirk's a Midwesterner. He's, he's from Michigan. He's got family in Iowa. So he's, I think, fairly well schooled in the art of passive aggressive jujitsu, which we all know is the highest art of rhetorical combat. So, uh, yeah, he, he fits in. He fits in pretty well in that regard. So um, why don't we get to some Twitter questions here? Let's we got a it. bunch of them in the mailbag today. A lot of draft stuff, but a lot of other uh other topics to cover as well um as we are just two weeks out from the draft so i guess to get us going um i've got two here from jason and nick that are pretty similar maybe we can start there because we talked since we talked so much about corners at the top of the draft talk yeah. jason saying the top three corners are off the board at 12 who is your choice and nick saying since the cornerbacks in the draft are top heavy do you think it is more likely if the top three are gone by pick 12 that the Vikings take best available like wide receiver defensive tackle or trade back? Yeah, I mean, I the trade back thing is going to be interesting to watch because I, I do think there's value in doing that. And all of the research would tell you that towards the top of the draft, it is better to trade back than to trade up because – there is more value in accumulating more of those picks in the first, there's like a break point in the, I think in the pick number, it's usually I think in the middle of the fourth round that it starts to be not advantageous to trade back that much anymore. And then you're just kind of doing it for, Oh, your own vanity or something. This is, (laughs) you can hear me doing a mental accounting of all of the hours of my life. I've lost on Saturday, like the last Saturday in April over the last, 10 years, which is always like the nicest, the first nice day we have. And we're sitting in there saying, Hey, they just traded back again. They've now got 238 and 254 instead of 226. So it's going to be a while. Um, so if that's clouding my opinion of that strategy, I apologize, but uh, it's um, the, the struggle is real in that front. Anyway, trading back <laughs> earlier in the draft does make some sense. So I'm, I'm curious to see if they'll try to do that. I, th- I think there's, an argument to make for doing it, but um, 
those other spots that Nick mentions, wide receiver, defensive tackle, I think are there's there's good defensive tackles. The Georgia guys, if you can get one of those, I think you could you could think about that if you wanted to have some cost certainty with Dalvin Tomlinson, um, Harrison Phillips, those kinds of guys. If you wanted to have something behind them, wide receiver is an interesting thought because they're still paying Adam Thielen a lot of money to be wide receiver too, and you're about to be paying Justin Jefferson a lot a lot of money to be wide receiver one. So if you could find another guy that's dynamic that can play with those two guys now, and then potentially give you some cost certainty later, I could get down with that. I mean, it's a position where there's typically a lot of depth in this day and age in the draft, but uh, there was somebody that you liked that could be a difference maker at 12. I, I could see that argument. I mean, the Bengals did it and have, have reaped the benefits from it. I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you you know, the last, you know, the Vikings have tended to have two good wide receivers for, for quite some time. And even, yeah. you know, but then you go back to 1998 and they had, you know, Chris Carter and Jake Reed, and then they draft Randy Moss and you're like, well, they already had two good wide receivers. Yeah. But if, if it's a guy that you, that is a, it's a complete game changer that completely changes the trajectory of your franchise. Um, and like you said, like Adam Thielen, even though they're still, they're still paying him now and pretty well paying him probably next year too, because of yeah. the way they restructured him. Right. That's not going to go on forever. He's on the other side of 30 now, is he not? Yeah, he'll be 32 in, uh, I think, in June, I want to say, which is kind of wild to think about. But, yeah, Adam Thielen is entering his 10th season in the NFL. I mean, he had, at the kind of the practice squad years is year 10 for Adam Thielen. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be around forever. He's the kind of guy who, even though he's been had, like, minor injuries, does take care of himself. So you don't imagine this precipitous drop-off in his game, even though he's a fairly fast wide receiver doesn't necessarily, you know, depend wholly on athleticism or, you know, this, you know, cause breakaway speed, he can still be effective even as his career progresses, but you could, you could I could, I could imagine that. I, I do think what you wouldn't want is for them to get too cute, right? If, if there is one of those three cornerbacks there at 12, uh, you, you probably just do the, do the obvious thing and take that guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to, don't try to hit some cute, draw just take the driver and and uh swing it and hit it down the middle of the fairway i'm told that's a good way to play golf i don't have a lot of experience (laughs) hitting drivers down the middle of the fairway but i'm told that's supposed to be a good idea so um yeah i I think in that case you probably just take the corner and and move on from there um josh asked the depth at edge drops off significantly if hunter and smith get hurt who are some sleeper candidates at edge in rounds two or three I mean, that's a little bit of a he's asking us to go fairly deep here uh, on the sleeper stuff right away. But I, I do think in general that is that's going to be a need. I, I think that spot is one that, like we talked about a little bit, you have to, I think, explore both because you want to have a way that Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter are not playing 950 snaps. And then you also want to have ways to plan for those guys not being here if something were to happen i mean round two if uh if boy mafe is there um yeah i could see that i mean maybe we're, we're playing a little bit of the hometown angle there but uh nick bonito from oklahoma is a name that i've i've seen as a possibility there i, I think he's probably a little bit raw to do more than just a pass rush i think you need him to develop in some other ways but he could be worth a look round two or three if they want to add an edge rusher there um you know and then you get into guys like drake jackson from usc and 
Cameron Thomas from San Diego State. I mean, there's a lot of those six three, six four types that have kind of become really the the standard issue at that position as everybody kind of talks about the next Daniel Hunter as if Daniel Hunter, when he's healthy, can be replicated that easily. But yeah, there are a number of guys. There's there's quite a bit of depth at that spot in this draft, and I think uh, it is going to be somewhere you see them address. I, I would be very surprised if they don't add another edge rusher, especially as they they transition to a 3-4, and, and they need some other guys with some experience in that type of a format. Yeah, I mean, looking at rough, or looking at mock drafts, it does seem like there's, you know, if you go deep deeper into the mock drafts in round two and round three, it does look like there's quite a few of them. Looks like there could be like, you know, projected to be, you know, maybe a run on them at the you know beginning, yeah. the middle part of the third round. So maybe that's, you know, if you're looking at not wanting to get past that, that's probably where you, you maybe you're looking at using that pick there. And they, you know, remind me, they still have their top three picks, right? It's the fourth rounder they lose because of the Chris yeah. Herndon trade. Because of the Chris Herndon trade, yes. The entirely wholly necessary Chris Herndon trade yes, because he was very necessary. such a key cut to such a key part of the eight and nine year in 2021 when they were trying all trying to save their jobs and make yep. desperate moves that it didn't really matter if uh, it, whatever happened right. Yeah, that was sort of the draft equivalent of you buy a house and you say, "What the heck went on here?" And like, oh yeah, the previous owners had some crazy idea that they tried it and it it did a little bit of structural damage, but they figured, well, we're going to sell this house anyway. We don't need to spend the money to fix it. I mean, that's kind of what that felt like. They had a fight club in the basement. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that I know you're using that figuratively, but that may have actually happened towards the end there. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it, it is uh, the top three rounds. They have their picks. They do not have a fourth rounder. And I, I think they've only got, I think, seven or eight total in this draft. Now, they may for now, more. for now, yeah, for now. but no comp picks, no, uh, nothing along those lines. So, yeah, they're they're not quite as loaded at the top, or at least in the first four rounds of the draft, as they've been in the past. So, yeah, it's uh, trading back may make some sense from that sense of things as well. So, I like this question from Gordon because it uh, it helps us revisit drafts past. He says, Chaz Surratt, Wyatt Davis, Patrick Jones, Kellen Mond. Those are huge depth pieces if they work out. Were those their four third-round picks last yes. year? Yes. Um, do you think they will work out? Uh, I don't know that Wyatt Davis will. Um, I don't. I didn't hear a single thing about him last year that made me think anybody was terribly optimistic about him. Um, and then I think uh, Courtney Cronin from ESPN had reported that Spielman basically went rogue when he made that pick and kind of went around the – the wishes of the scouting department when they took Wyatt Davis. So I don't know that Wyatt Davis absent a, a big improvement this year is going to be the guy. And the fact that they went and signed two guards probably tells you that they're not looking at him that way either. So I, I don't, I wouldn't expect that so much. Patrick Jones would be the one. I think if you're rooting for one of those third round picks from last year to hit, that would be the name I'd put at the top of the list. I, simply because I do think they need more help there. They still need a guy probably to play like a five technique defensive end in the base and then maybe line up to be another guy with his hand in the dirt on third down. So if he can turn into something, I think that helps them a lot. I, I think DJ Wanham is probably still in the mix, but at needing another rusher that can add to that rotation or a guy that can play meaningful snaps there, I, I think is an important thing. So if he can, 
turn a corner and, and carve out some kind of a role for himself, I think that'd be important. I mean, certainly if Kellen Mond shows that he can play, that would help them a lot down the road as well. But it, for 2022, I think Patrick Jones would be the one of those four that I'd probably keep my eye on the most. I don't think you bring back Sean Manning if you love Kellen Mond. No, that's probably true. Yeah, it's uh, it, the, the Kellen Mond saga is going to be a fascinating one to watch, however much longer it lasts in Minnesota. Um, I, we had... Well, we got to we got to let's do two more here. Um, got to get to the it, one from Mikhail, Mikhail Skolachev. Yes. If you uh, maybe we can end with that one. The one about the the reacting to the comment. I I didn't see the one. I didn't see the one from him. I'll, I'll read the other one that I was thinking of. Okay. Andrew asked, sure. uh, "Do the Wilfs want Kirk Cousins to be a Minnesota Viking?" For Ooh, I like that one. Career? Yeah, I saw that one too. I like that one. Um, well, I mean, everything you've told me is that you know, previous to these last few weeks, was that they were souring on the whole Kirk Cousins experience, the return on investment. Um, so, I mean, maybe maybe everything they did with Cousins this offseason was just kind of a, a giant compromise, right? Like, you, you, it's yeah. hard to come into, you know, in retrospect, it's hard for a new regime to come in with a quarterback on a big, big cap number with one year left. Like, that's a tough position for Quesi Dofomenta and Kevin O'Connell to come into. So, is is the most palatable solution to buy yourself a little cap space by extending him for a year, give him a no trade clause. That doesn't necessarily mean like you've said before that he won't get traded in a year and then kind of operate from there where you kind of give yourself two outs. So whether it's um, redo it again in a year because he had a really good year and you feel good about the future or, Hey, this didn't work, um, but we'll go find you a team that you want to play for and we'll trade you there next off season. So I don't know if it's, I don't know if extending him necessarily means that the Wilfs want him, but I do think the Wilfs don't want to have a four and 13 season. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's ultimately a lot of what brought them back to the table with him. I would say this. I don't think that if you're dead set on him being the guy for the rest of his career, that you put two void years in the end of it. I mean, I, I think if you're, if you're planning for him to be here longer than that, you don't, do the contract that way. It, it sort of looks like we're planning for two more years and then we maybe move on, which then makes you wonder, do they go try to get a quarterback this year to develop? If they don't like Kellen Mond, do they take somebody that they feel like that can be ready in a year or two when you are feeling better about moving on from Cousins? I, I don't think you do a deal that has void years in it if you are 100% locked into the idea of him being here for the long term. That said... I think a lot of it's in his hands. I, if he plays well enough, I don't think they're just going to go say, ah, forget it. We're going to move on and, and uh, give up on it. I think, I think they're interested enough in winning consistently or being relevant consistently that if he gives them reasons to keep kind of coming back to the table, they, they probably will. But yeah, that's some of that is to be determined by what he does. Now a question for you about those void years, like say he has a really good year this year and they want to redo his deal again, do the, do the void years they put on his contract now, does that still factor into their future caps because they used it as a way to lower his number this year? Yeah, I so I was I spent a lot of time because I got this question from a few people on Anthony Barr as well. And I my best sense of it, and this is I'm I apologize that I don't have 100 percent black and white answer on this, but they haven't used void years that much. So this has kind of been a new thing to get to know. 
from the cap perspective. But I believe the way it would work is this. if So right now there are void years for 2023 and 2024 on the deal. And all of that money right now hits the cap in 2023. It's like cutting somebody that has signing bonus money left, where it all just accelerates onto the cap, unless you do the post-June 1st thing. But I, I think with void years, it just accelerates onto the cap. The, the void right years away. would be 24 and 25, wouldn't they? Not 23 and 24? Sorry, yes. Thank okay, you. Okay. Just making sure. Um, Clarify. What year is it? <laughs> yeah, this is the year yes, 2022. 22 and 23. The yes. void years would be 24 and 25. Yes. yes. So the money would hit the cap in 2024. If you did a new deal, I think the best you can do and this is based on what it looked like with Anthony Barr when I when I played around with this a little bit. I think the best you could do is say the 2024 void money still hits in 24, but the 25 void money does not hit in 24. I think you could stretch that over two years and basically say it's going to hit in the year that it's signed up to do it rather than all accelerating onto the cap. But I don't think you can go out and just you know wave a magic wand, to use a, an old Rick Spielman phrase, and make the void money disappear and roll it all into a signing bonus. I mean, the, the Patriots did a lot of these with Tom Brady and the Saints did a lot of them with Drew Brees. And I, I probably need to find a little more time to go back and look at how all of that worked out cap-wise. But my sense right now is that the best you could do is kind of cut the void money in half, so to speak. Put it some in 24 and some in 25, even if you sign Cousins to a new deal. I think that money becomes part of the cap in those years. So you essentially would be paying Cousins his contract plus whatever this void money was. So you'd be. I think that's tr- correct. Yes. Which is uh, which adds which adds to you know the idea, like you said, that their thinking of him isn't necessarily beyond 2023 because that gets pretty pricey on your cap. You know, I guess, I guess, you know, eventually the deal you could do is, you know, add void years later. So it's, it's a little different in, you know, what you're, what you're doing now, you could spread the money even, even differently and just kind of keep kicking that piece of it down the road. But you're right. Why would you add void years? If you're thinking the same way he is that this is a long-term instead of a medium term relationship. Yeah. I mean, the saints did, I mean, the saints were famous for this with Drew Brees. They would almost every year they would redo a deal and they would, add a void year to the end of it. So there, I think there are some ways to kick the can down the road further, but you can't just, it's not so easy of a contract restructure that you can basically make those go away or make them probably quite as flexible as other financial instruments. I, I think that's effectively how that works, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly one of those things. I mean, look at the saints, they have been in cap purgatory forever. And part of the reason for that is they kept doing things like the void years to stay relevant, stay competitive, and not have to blow the roster up while staying out of the cap. But it's um, they have continued to pay the price, and they really still are paying the price in a lot of ways for the ways they handled it with Breeze and, and just their roster in those last few years under Peyton and Mickey Loomis. So, yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing to watch here in the next few years. Okay, let's finish with this one from Mikhail Skolachev. Who wants to know, with the thesis that it was all Zimmer's fault, what do the Vikings do if they start out slowly? Let's say they are two and five at the bye. Who is to blame then? Yeah, I did see this one. I, I like that question um, be, because that is kind of the way they've been operating it. I don't know that that thesis is completely correct. I think there is a fair amount of it that was Rick Spielman's fault in terms of some of the decisions they made. But there was this kind of 
shared philosophy probably of we can win with a, an old school approach. We don't need to have the greatest offense in the world. We can, we can build the roster a certain way and we'll go about it with those parameters. And probably a lot of those were influenced by Mike Zimmer, who I'm sure was uh, no wallflower in terms of being in that draft room and, and uh, not saying what he wanted. I don't think that's how that worked. In fact, I know it was quite the opposite of that at times. Uh, who do you blame if it doesn't work this year? I, I mean, they're not going to fire anybody. I mean, they're, they're, there's no way. These guys are here for the long term. But um, I, I think you'd go with, well, um, it's you, you claim growing pains. You, you take advantage of the honeymoon probably and say it's going to take a little bit for us to get it exactly where we want. I mean, that's maybe the message you hear. But internally, it, I think you'd, you'd be left with the um, – conclusion that it it's the roster that the roster needs to be changed and and maybe that's some of the bet if you are of the mind that Quasi Adolfo Mensa does in fact want to make bigger changes to the roster but hasn't really gotten the latitude to do that yet maybe that type of a start would allow him to say guys we've tried it and it's just not working we need to start to make those changes to a certain degree though it would be an indictment of the new regime because these are a lot of the same players and if the old regime was at least competitive to a degree and, you know, flirting with the playoffs. They were never, you know, even though they started one and five in 2020, they got themselves back to six and six. There was never a year where they got to December and they were completely out of it. So if they had a year that was just a disaster with a lot of the same players, you know, you could say, yeah, the the players are a year older. They really do need to blow this up. But you could also say, and the new coaching staff and the new decision makers probably need to learn a little bit more on the job too. Yeah, I think there's going to be some of that. I I do know they are head over heels at least at the moment with the hires they made. They this is a a uh, Caribbean island honeymoon right now. I mean, everybody's happy. Everybody loves everybody. I mean, they, there is a lot of excitement from owners about Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell. There's a lot of excitement from Quasi and Kevin about working together. I, you know, I had some conversations with people at the, the owners meetings that those two, that that second interview Kevin O'Connell had in L.A. when the Vikings flew out there was it was like you could see fireworks in the sky. I mean, those two just clicked apparently. And it was like it basically came out of there thinking this is the guy. And, uh, you know, they, they went through another couple of interviews there and the Harbaugh flirtation. Obviously. I was going to say, it makes the Harbaugh stuff seem all the more interesting in retrospect. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it was, and you know, maybe you hear those things now and it's, it's, we're retconning things a little bit. I don't know, but um, there certainly seemed to be quite a, a connection between the new GM and the new head coach in that interview in Southern California. So yeah, right now everybody's everybody's very happy. Everybody loves the new culture. Everybody's excited about what it's going to be that it wasn't before. If that blows up and that doesn't work, the results don't match the the sentiment right now. Then yeah, you have to ask what happens. But yeah, it's um, I, I think right now they and the contracts I think are only four years, so it's not impossible to blow this up in a couple of years. But I, I think they feel like they have leaders that they believe in for the long term and they have an organizational environment they are planning to build around for a while so there's not going to be something where boy if they don't start out five and two 
look out. I mean, it's not going to go that way. It's just not. And the fact that you're still paying Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman for the next two years is going to have something to say about that as well. No, and I'd never suggest that they were going to make a move. I would just say, you know, it would be interesting to see how much blame was, how the blame was distributed if if the season did not awry because, you know, it's a lot of the same players. And if the hope was that a new message with a lot of the same players was going to produce better results. And in fact, it produced worse results. Uh, that would be an interesting thing to, uh, to see as well. Yeah. I think the thing that would do, and we can close it on this note. I think the thing that would do is if you are of the mindset that this needs a hard reset, that may remove whatever affinity there was for going a different way. The idea of, well, let's try to run this back and let's try to make some tweaks and hope that we can just coach these guys differently and, and maybe uh, have everybody be a little happier when they come to work. That didn't work. That may lead to a little bit more of a difficult discussion of, hey, we really do need to sit here and, and consider a harder reset. So if you I, like that idea, maybe that's, the, maybe that's one way to get there. I think saying hi to Brian O'Neill in the hallway is worth at least two wins, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the analytics are of, of hallway hellos, but maybe we'll find out. I mean, there's I think there's going to be more analytics. There's going to be more hallway hellos. So maybe all of this will be the magic recipe to deliver Lombardi Trophy number one to uh, the Twin Cities and 2600 Viking Circle in Egan. We will see how all of that plays out as we head towards the draft. We'll have plenty of coverage for you on this podcast on startribune.com and certainly in the print edition of the paper as we head towards the draft. I think Mark Craig will do a, a first round mock draft. I'll have my typical seven round um, mock draft that runs, I think, the day of the draft. And we'll have plenty of position previews. We'll have plenty for you. If you're the type that loves to gorge yourself on draft content, we will help you do that. So make sure to check out all of our work in the Star Tribune at startribune.com and keep checking back for Access Vikings Daily Delivery and the rest of our Star Tribune podcast. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon.